We're all um, very much aware that this is the last opportunity I'll have to stand in this pulpit as your president. But that's not what these moments are about, and it's certainly not what this pulpit is about. So I'm going to take a few moments to talk about the gospel. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask that once again your spirit would honor the fact that we've come to place our lives in front of your open word. Do now what only you can do, which is to use your word to bring us more fully alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. In the first chapter of his epistle to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is focused on what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God has chosen us in Christ. God has redeemed us in Christ. God has gathered all things together in Christ. And then he concludes the chapter by saying that this Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. And God has placed all things under his feet and has made Christ the head over all things for the church, which is his body. So far, so good. (laughs) Then we get to chapter 2, where the apostle turns his attention to us, the church, that body over which Christ is the head. In fact, he gives pretty much the church's testimony. Now, I grew up in a wing of the church that really emphasized the telling of testimonies, especially in the Sunday night service. And I know that typically a testimony is presented in the first person. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's not how Paul tells our testimony. He doesn't even use the first plural, which would have been nice. No, he uses the second person, you. And he's not tender. (laughs) You were dead. Those are the opening words of his testimony (laughs) about the church in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead. Not you were lost, or you were confused, or you were seeking. Nope. You were dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Sin is anything 
that separates us from God. Now, most of us don't need a lot of time to think about what we've done and left undone that has separated us from God. As David said, our sin is ever before us. But others of us, and these are the folks that both Jesus and Paul were most worried about, are focused much more on the sins of others. Maybe even the sins of those in the community called the body of Christ. They're the ones that we're worried about. They're wrong. They're the problem in the community. Now, I want to be clear. They may be wrong. They may even be the problem, or at least one of the community's problems. But to focus our lives and our mission on what is wrong in the community or who is wrong is to separate ourselves from the Savior who's dying to love not just you but them. And to separate yourself from the Savior, remember, is sin. This is the sin of being dead right. You were dead, Paul wrote. And then, as he moves to verses 2 and 3, he just digs the grave deeper and deeper. <laughs> Verse 2, you are following the ways of the world. Verse 3, you were children of wrath like everyone else. This may be the most damning part of the church's testimony. Like everyone else, we were just children of wrath. And the wrath had taken over us. It was eating us from the inside out. It was killing us, burying us. And even though Christ has redeemed us from that life, by nature, we keep trying to find our way back into the tomb of self-righteous anger. You were dead. And then, maybe without even picking his pen up off the paper, and then the apostle writes, but God. Oh. Now we've come to the gospel. It always turns on the phrase, but God. You were dead, but God. You kept trying to wander back into the tomb. But God, you were killing yourself trying to save yourself. But God, you had been beaten up and left to walk around wounded. But God, You were born into a world in which the haves have so much and the have-nots have not a chance. But God, but God would not let you stay dead. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which God loved us, even while we remained dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. You may not realize it, you may not feel it, you may not act like it, but who you really are is who you really are in Christ. Paul loves this phrase, in Christ. He uses it 169 times in the epistles that are attributed it to him. To be in Christ means to find that the Holy Spirit has adopted you into the Son's own beloved relationship with the Father, making you also the beloved. Not because you earned your way in, not because you thought your way in, not because you got enough degrees to merit your way in, but because you have always belonged to God and in Christ you were found and made by the Holy Spirit, also the beloved of God, and collectively, as a part of the body, we then become the beloved community in Christ. Again, we may not realize it, we may not feel like we're the beloved community, we certainly don't always act like we are the beloved community, but that's who we really are, who we are in Christ who we are in the heavenly places. It's as if there is a seat for you. You have been seated, the apostle says, with Christ in the heavenly places. That just blows my mind to think about this. <laughs> seated with Christ in the heavenly places. There is a chair in heaven with your name on it. <laughs> seated. That's with Christ, that's your true home, this home that gives you your true identity, your true mission, and the true identity and mission of the community, who we are as the community in Christ. Now, because we don't always look so much like the beloved community, we, we strive to make it more of what we think the community of Christ ought to be about. And sometimes in striving, we disagree about the best way to do that. And sometimes we hurt each other along the way. Community is difficult. Last week, we were interviewing another candidate to be a part of the faculty, and the search committee got to the point in the interview where we were talking about how important community life is to us, a community centered in Christ here. And I made sure this candidate knew that one of the things we're clear about is that community is difficult. It's hard. And sometimes it hurts. And partly it hurts because we're so busy trying to take over for Christ. This is the danger of our language about imitating Christ. Because the only way we know how to actually imitate Christ is to try to be messianic ourselves. 
taking a job description that's already been filled. And the only way that we know how to be messianic is to fill ourselves with resolve. And then we'll do whatever it takes to make sure we get what we want, which means we inevitably become mean. Mean messiahs. <laughs> the world has enough meanness already. Amen. It doesn't need more meanness from the church. The community certainly doesn't need more meanness to pass around. That's why instead of a focus just on trying to imitate Christ, let us talk about this language that Paul has given us. Let us participate in Christ. The Christ who is at the center, as each of us keeps focusing on drawing closer to this center, we are all drawn closer to each other in our participation in Christ, who is in the midst of this community and who makes the community holy. This is what Augustine kept knocking himself out to try to convince the Donatist of. The body of Christ remains holy only because the head is holy, not because the members are holy. This is a holy community. That's who we really are because Christ is in our midst. Christ is in the continued business of unfolding our belovedness. Let us participate in that. It will always be the work of Christ that makes us holy. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of good works, lest any of us should boast. Grace claims that community is not an, an achievement to strive to get right. It is a holy gift to be received with gratitude. Grace claims that we are, as the apostle writes, what God has made us. Grace claims that God knows what you've done and left undone. And God knows what was done to you. But out of the riches of God's mercy, God has reached down to pull you up. You see the arc of the gospel here. When we were beaten down or 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 fell down, or maybe we dove down back into the, the graves of our souls. God would not settle for that, but out of the richness of God's mercy, God reached down, pulled us up, made us alive, fully alive once again with Christ. All by grace. Grace claims That even though injustice may appear to have the upper hand, even though the community is not all that it aspires to be, 
even though the mission of Christ is far from being completed. The gospel story, the story to which we have committed our lives, always turns on the words, but God. And God is not done. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.